Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. talking about how I had a few strange thoughts and some of them were related to stuff about ascended masters and it's just not really something that I want to go along the lines of so I thought of a solution I just created some ascended master repellent and I added and archangels because I was just like, well, may as well just throw that in there. So I think this is a good solution. So if ever I feel like the Ascended Masters are coming to take me over, or even if I just think a thought about Ascended Masters, I can just be like, just like, get away. I don't want to be a channel for Ascended Masters. That seems like a very passive thing. So I could go down that line and maybe channel Ascended Masters, who knows. But it's very passive. And that's kind of boring. So they can just go take over somebody else who wants to be a passive channel. Because I don't want to. So we'll keep that right here. It's very important, it's critical. And if you want to order some, it's $25.99. Or you can just buy one of these bottles or find one in your house. You probably have one already. Just put some water in it and then put a label on it that says some kind of repellent, whatever it is you want to repel. It's sort of a gesture to let that thought know I'm more powerful in gesture than just a thought can be in my brain. I came across this article on ideapod.com and they were saying five signs you're a genius or something and then one of them was that you talk to yourself. You get caught talking to yourself. And so it seems like people who are geniuses engage in self-dialogue. They just don't necessarily do it like this. Because come on, who really wants to talk to themselves on video like this? And I feel like it's not just oneself talking to oneself because we're all doing that in our head. And that makes us not a genius. But when we actually talk to ourselves from the vantage point of the universe or things we see in the world, and wondering and questioning and being in awe, then that can start to allow the brain to see, which can give somebody access to supposed genius. Because genius isn't personal. 
And I was thinking about how silly the universe is. It's actually quite silly. And in mania, I've connected with silliness for sure. So I feel like to be in more connection with the universe, it's important to get in touch with one's silliness. This isn't me being silly. This is actually me being very serious. Stay away. And I was thinking again about relationships and and they talk about how relationships are so important. And a lot of what relationships are, are conversation and dialogue and, and seeing eye to eye. And so a lot of even just the word relationship, it's a little bit misleading because if we don't have some kind of conversation, if we don't have some kind of dialogue, then we don't really establish relationship. We might have a superficial relationship for a moment if we smile at somebody. So that is a way to be related, but it's not relationship. So we think, oh, relationships are important. But then if we think about it and we unfold, what is relationship? Part of it is conversation and dialogue and understanding. So. In my self-dialogue process here, I'm at least developing a strong relationship with myself, with my own brain, which might be important to have that relationship first before reaching out to try to establish relationship with somebody else, because then I'm not establishing relationship to fill in the gaps, I'm just establishing it to be related. Yesterday when I was driving to meet a friend, I was singing like a crazy person in my car. And when I would pass somebody on the highway, I noticed I would stop and, and appear normal. And I was thinking about how actually it would be cool if 95% of people were singing like crazy people and 5% of people were driving like this worried, trying to get their brain to like exercise in some kind of direction that is just delusion. Whereas singing is actually something that's happening in the moment. It's, it's a celebration of the moment. Whereas driving and thinking about something else is denying the present moment. So we need to deny that by which we deny the present moment. And singing is definitely a way to do that. So we can't really think about stuff while we're, we're trying to sing along to a song. So singing like a maniac is definitely something a manic would do. So perhaps I should try to not try to appear normal when I'm driving. It's like celebrating while driving. And even with walking, we can think, I'm walking. Or we can think, I'm celebrating having a functional body. Because we don't have that forever. Because we've turned it into walking when we weren't born with the ability to walk. And we can't even imagine all of what had to happen for us to have that ability to walk. But once we've mastered it, we take it for granted. And our ego, in a way, is, is us perfecting our personality.
but it's like walking in a straight line. We don't realize that we have more degrees of freedom than that. And map consciousness comes in and, and pushes us over and all of a sudden we're in a totally different land. And we have to learn to walk in a different way. And we walk through life in our habit tracks and then map consciousness pushes us off that and we have to learn to walk again in a way because we're used to sort of going in circles from work to home to the store to whatever and then it pushes us into another place and we're like wow i don't even know how to walk if i'm not on my habitual program track of existence i don't know how to respond to the moment i only know how to be this program version of myself with blinders on and it takes attention to be able to respond to the moment. Because if we're not in that same area of our brain, if we're not operating with that same area, we have to learn how to operate in a different way when we're not operating based on habit. So we really need to learn how to walk again. We don't even know how to walk. We think we know how to walk because our body moves through space but we don't actually know how to walk on this earth. To me, it seems we become desire machines instead of instruments of connection. And so our brains have been wired for desire and we use things to satisfy our desire. We use things to satisfy the scar tissue in our brains and then we further scar ourselves instead of connecting things. And, and it's mirrored in the brain. We're not able to make these fluid connections in our brain because we have the desire blinders on. And part of what we actually desire is connection and what arises naturally when we're able to connect. And we can't see connection if we're only seeing our desires because using something to get our desire satisfied is disconnection. And it seems we don't trust that we'll get what we want and need in terms of our heart and soul if we don't have this sort of aggressive desire process going on inside of us. And I feel like map consciousness is a vision correction process. And when we see differently, we walk differently. So we don't know how to walk because we don't know how to see. So this new consciousness wants us to see in a different way and walk through life in a different way based on seeing in the moment instead of not being able to see and then needing habits in order to direct us. Sort of like a train. A train just has its track and it just goes along. It doesn't even really need to see. It can plow through most things that's in front of it. And we don't actually need to see. We can get through life pretty much blind because of this habit process. I feel there's a way to have space opening conversations. I feel this self-dialogue is a way to open up space in my brain as opposed to just hearing my own voice repeat the same stuff in my head. That's going to close down the space in my brain. And the space is what is needed in order to see. We need more space in our brains in order to see. Right now our brains with our egos are like an out of tune guitar. 
It's out of tune with the universe. So no matter what we do or say, or what programs or, or, or songs that we learn, it's always going to not be quite right. It's not going to be quite it. Because we have these tracks in our nervous system that are programmed. So even if we try to play a different song, we, we can't because it's already been programmed. We can only play these out of tune songs. And then we think by trying to play more songs and better songs, it's going to help. But we actually need to change the tuning of the brain, what it's in tune with, what it's tuned to. And right now it's tuned to the sound of our own voice used against us. And we need to actually utilize our voice to open space in our brains by talking to ourselves in new ways and talking to each other in new ways, not about old opinions. If you didn't see it for yourself, it might not be worth saying. Now, if you hear something somebody says and you see something new, then that might be worth talking about. I feel like in flow or map consciousness, we actually see with our heart. And the heart sees energy, yet the heart is blind. So the heart tells the brain what it sees. And then the eyes can see that. But when we have our ego voice talking, we don't see what the heart is saying. And when that is quiet, that whole impression is taken by the heart and fed up to the brain and that's one of the reasons why we actually have more neural connections going from the heart to the brain than from the brain to the heart and then that sort of tells the picture of what's happening to the brain and then that'll shift what we're actually seeing in reality because we can only see a certain portion our blind spot is actually filled in a big chunk of what we actually see in our visual field is just filled in by habit by memory and I feel like that's mainly true because we're in our ego process so we're utilizing so much of our RAM by speaking in our own voice that the brain has to work hard to fill in what it thinks is there what it imagines is there and if that ego process shuts off, we're actually able to see what's there for real. And then that's the extra information. It's like the other 50% that we're missing. Maybe the other side of our brain, like the right brain, left brain communication. It's both sides of the brain talking to each other because the heart is feeding some of that information up. And so we see such a rich landscape compared to what we usually see because the ego voice isn't saying anything about richness. It's just bitching and complaining usually. So it can, it can feel like information overload when we no longer are utilizing our blind spot process. And then we're no longer blind. And then that's when we can see and we're like, oh my God, look at everything that's going on could be the blind spot thing that the brain hemispheres we're not using our whole brain and another reason we can't see is because we're focusing how can we see when we're focusing on one little point then that really forces the brain 
to fill in the rest of what it thinks is there or what we're comfortable with being there to maintain our focus and maintain our little habitual ways of being. I was thinking about why aren't there any campaigns for research for a cure for mental illness? There's cure for cancer, run for the cure, cure for diabetes, cure for this, cure for that. Every physical disease it says there, there could be a cure, yet they haven't found a cure, but they love to talk about it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, I'm just pointing out that it's interesting that there's no run for the cure for bipolar disorder. I'm wondering why they think brains can't be cured when brains are infinitely more neuroplastic than the body is. I feel like there's something going on here with not wanting to provide any clues to the fact that the brain can heal and that psychosis and mania and those things are likely a healing process that's being stunted and stopped. So no hints about that the brain can heal at all. Can't be cured ever even though the brain, it can heal to a point where if somebody has some kind of injury, they can relearn to do things. So why can't the brain grow and heal in other ways? If it can grow and heal so it can get us to move again, why can't it grow and heal so we actually can think again, which is something that we don't even understand how that works. So to me, it's a little bit of an interesting thing. Somehow we're very comfortable with how the body heals itself, but we're not comfortable with how the mind and the brain heal itself. Imagine if people that were diagnosed were told, your brain is neuroplastic, anything's possible. You'll probably actually get better to the point of being better than you ever were. Because sometimes what's needed in order to actually get stronger is to break down the old structures. Just like somebody who's working out their muscles, they have to actually break the muscle fibers. So then when they heal, they heal stronger. Maybe there's a similar process going on in the brain. The fibers of the ego are getting broken. So when we integrate, when we heal, when we move towards wholeness, we're actually stronger. We still have those bits of the ego, some of them, but the stuff that we can allow to grow in its place the brain cells that can grow in its place can be even better. Maybe we can see, wow, there's a lot of ways I didn't want to be and I don't want to be that way anymore. And now I have the freedom to move towards being somebody different. I don't have to go back to being the self that I was before. And they talk about, oh, I have a broken brain. We break a bone and it heals. And that's like this big bony structure and our body knows how to heal it so even if our brain cells break they're so fluid and plastic they heal way faster than a bone yet we all know that bones heal so why don't brains heal and why do we have to label it a defect we wouldn't call somebody with a broken leg permanently defective their bone is just healing Maybe people's brains are just healing. Maybe who they are is healing. Maybe their heart is healing. Maybe their soul is healing. We don't understand. But to be calling it one thing, which goes against science on so many levels. 
I've written a lot of stuff lately and I got an email about flow, a class on flow. And I'm not gonna sign up for it right now. I don't know if I will because my thing is actually how to stay out of flow. So they've created this course for, for so-called normal people to learn how to get into flow. And that's awesome. It's very important. But I feel like I'm a person who is trying to stay out of flow because the world is not designed for flow. It's designed for little bits of flow, little bits of personal flow, but it's not really designed to really flow with the universe. So in that way, I need to actually stay out of flow. Because if I flow too much with the universe, I'm no longer me because the me is really a result of my habits and my routines and everything. If I just keep going into the unknown, am I really me? Does anyone know me? Nobody does, do I know myself? So in a way, a person kind of disappears. So life isn't designed that way. And so for me, Part of my flow has just been talking to myself while sitting in my habitual space as opposed to going out and about and talking to people because if that gets turned into flow, flow in daily life, then I could end up on the other side of the world in a very short period of time. And that's not really that convenient. So flow is inconvenient. It's not convenient. But I just find it interesting that the thing they've done all their research on and they've turned into a course is a course that the universe can put us into at any given moment without warning. Yet the people that go into it naturally and embody their course without having to take the course, because it's already written within our neurology, that's why they can discover it scientifically because it's part of our neurology. It's part of how we're designed. If it wasn't, you wouldn't be able to discover it. So it's already there. All the discoveries are already there. It just takes being able to see it and then call it a discovery. Well, it was already there. So what I'm trying to say is there are discoveries of flow. All of it is already there. And people who go into map consciousness, mania and psychosis, go into that state and then afterwards when it burns out because society's not designed for it to be sustainable it's not brainable it's just not the brain can't last in that state forever when somebody fizzles out from that and runs out of steam and runs out of energy they're called defective when they went into the very state that flow researchers are chasing. So I think it's not cool that normal people are trying to get in flow and then people that have been pathologized and labeled are falling out of flow, but went into that space that's already written in our neurology and it's already part of our humanity. That's why other people can learn to go into it slowly as a normal person. Well, if the ego can slowly but surely learn to get into flow, which is an egoless state, 
and the ego's not very powerful, can why does it not make sense that the universe, the energy of the cosmos, whatever you want to call it, can flip the switch on a person and put them in that, that state? We think that through will, through our own personal will, we can get into that state of effortlessness where we don't feel ourselves. The self that we feel is the ego. So when that gets scrambled or switched off or temporarily disabled, we're there. We don't need a course. You can take a course if you want. But what I'm just what I'm trying to say is that it's not cool, it's not fair. That normal people are trying to get into it and pay money to go in the state. And people who go in the state because the universe puts them there, it's not seen as valuable. People who've gone into the state naturally, organically, through the process of the universe. We're not asked about the state. It's not seen as valuable. If we were asked about it from a different perspective, not from, oh, you're defective, but, whoa, you were in flow for two months. Tell me about it. Let's talk about it. Just having this dialogue would cause all of our brains to level up, to be able to flow more and understand it more. Instead of having this divide, the people that go there naturally and then the people who have researched it to tell people who haven't gone there naturally yet the steps to get there. Now we have this divide of people, people trying to get there and people trying not to get there. Now if we actually had proper dialogue between these two groups of people, it would create a society that was more designed for that to happen naturally. And people wouldn't have to go to that extreme and then fall out of it and be called defective. And then other people going to extreme efforts effort of the ego to to get to that flow state when no effort of the ego can actually get one to the flow state the ego is what negates the flow state so really we should be talking about our egos and how they're getting in the way of actually seeing and if we can see we can flow just like the extreme sports athletes if they're blind, they can't flow like that in their sports. So how can we expect if we're blinded by our ego to be able to flow in life? If it's talking about something else, how are we going to be able to be present in the moment and flow with the moment? The ego talking about something else would be like an extreme athlete riding this wave here but saying, I want to ride that wave over there. It's impossible. You actually have to be perceptive in the moment to get over to that wave and make it an actuality. No amount of thinking you want to be on that other wave is going to put you there. So yeah, time to go ice skating. I want to talk more about flow because I'd like to flow towards I guess I just find it kind of annoying that it's not recognized that people in those other states are in flow. They just go there really quickly because the one that's trying to get us into flow is the barrier to flow. So it doesn't take time. Flow doesn't take time. It's timeless. So thinking it takes time to get to flow is actually 
denying flow. It just bothers me that it hasn't been extrapolated to people who go into altered states and who are diagnosed as defective. Why should those people be called defective and then regular people be allowed to meander slowly towards flow and dabble in it? People who are meandering towards flow better start creating reality that we can all flow in. What am I doing? I don't know. I'm pretty tired. I went ice skating today on a lake that was frozen, obviously, and it was really bumpy. So it was a bit of a brain workout because I've never skated on bumpy ice before. And then somebody helped me fix my car door. The outside handle snapped and broke and so I've had to climb in the passenger side for the last three weeks and it was a bit of a debacle. I'll put a picture in of the broken lock. And the car band-aided up. was quite the process, but afterwards I just felt so good because that saved me 200 bucks. So I'm tired, but I'm also quite content. I thought to share a picture of what mania looks like. What it looked like for me the very first time I was in it. And as you'll be able to see from the picture, I was in a very ridiculous, silly, and playful state. And then, two months later, probably, I was medicalized and pathologized and put on antipsychotics, and then I looked like this. I don't think I look very happy. I definitely wasn't. And I had to go back to the hospital in order to get taken off those antipsychotics. And I'm so glad that I insisted on not being on them. I was put on an antidepressant instead, which I thought would be less harmful. And I think I was right, because I haven't been on them at all, except for when I go to the psych ward. So when a doctor tried to put me on them long term, in April, in the psych ward, I just totally freaked out. And went downhill very quickly. And luckily I was able to switch doctors and get off those antipsychotics. And get the heck out of there and I don't ever intend to go back unless I'm taken there by force. 
so I have to be extra careful of my distress levels. I have a few opportunities to share about something or other to help stop the stigma against mental illness. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't identify with having a mental illness. I never have. I've utilized the services because that's what has been made available to me and I made the choice to go through that journey. But I never bought into, I have a mental illness. So I'm trying to think of a way I can still participate in those things and, and say things that are in the language that I would choose to speak about what others refer to as mental illness. I think of and refer to as something else. I refer to it as wonder and curiosity. I refer to it as transconsciousness, as neurodiversity, as being a different neuro tribe of neuroemergence and neuroplasticity. For example, kids with autism, they're developing normally, whatever that means. And then something shifts and all of a sudden they're disconnected and they're different. And then turns out they're labeled with autism. That can happen to somebody in their late teens, early 20s, late 20s, whenever. Something shifts, something shifts and then all of a sudden the person is different. Autistic kids aren't called mentally ill because they've never really developed a personality yet through which to say, oh, your personality changed so you must be mentally ill. They're just called autistic or on the autism spectrum or however you want to call it. Well, people who go through this experience later in life, autistic children avoid personality altogether and people who go through transconsciousness are trying to decouple from the personality because it's kind of like a prison. It's a prison of the way we perceive ourselves and the way we perceive ourselves is the way we're gonna unfold ourselves. So to be labeled with a mental illness and then choose to perceive oneself as mentally ill, everyone has the right to do whatever they want. They can, if that's what is best, then they can go right ahead. I don't have a problem with that. I personally don't choose to think about myself that way. I think there's actually infinite ways to think about it because the process itself is trying to get us to think differently, is trying to get us to think beyond and without the ego. And when we do that, we can think differently infinitely. So there's no one right way to think about it. It can keep unfolding. But as soon as we say, oh, oh, it's a mental illness, then we stop thinking about it. And we stop wondering about our own brain. We stop wondering about that mysterious process that was initiated in our consciousness, in, in our brains. And we stop wondering about this plastic brain we have, this neuroplastic 
process. We're a process or processing processes. We're not an ego, we're not a thing. And if we are a thing, we have this body, but we don't actually abide in our body because we're so much in our head. And when the head gets scrambled, the ego gets scrambled, all of a sudden we realize we're in this body, we're in this perceptual apparatus, and we can see things so much more clearly. Anyway, that was a tangent. It just reminds me of Jason Silva's videos because he talks of all of these perceptual experiences meant to expand our horizon and rearrange our mental models in order to incorporate and integrate it. That's exactly what map consciousness is. And we get tiny little glimpses throughout our life and then we kind of chase that in a way. We're like, oh, how do I get that back? And then the people who go there and come back, they're not treated as, wow, you went there. Maybe you have something to share with us. Maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle. Those people are silenced and then people are left abstracting about the experience when a person was just fully immersed in the experience for, for weeks, for months. If we can get one glimpse and then wonder about awe, why are people that get a huge glimpse being pathologized and labeled and medicated out of going back into that experience. Those are just some thoughts. I feel like feel like perhaps this isn't the time yet for these types of perceptions, but I'm free to create them in my own mind because I don't have my mind blind, blocked by the story of I have bipolar disorder. I've been labeled with bipolar disorder, but I understand it in a different way. Bipolar disorder is the psychiatric understanding and that is the business of psychiatrists. And just like a person who's diagnosed with cancer might do mainstream treatment and they might also do alternative treatment in order to make it so the mainstream treatment is more successful. I'm creating alternative perspectives as well to go along with the mainstream perspective that I've been given. When we take something somebody else says and turn it against ourselves, it's not something we've discovered for ourselves, it's something we've been told. And then we can no longer discover anything for ourselves. And so our own voice gets turned against us. And when that voice is happening, we can't hear the voice of the universe. We can't hear our body talking to us. It stops communicating. I was actually wondering if the reason why there's so many more neural pathways from the heart to the brain versus from the brain to the heart because 
it's almost like scar tissue in a way like the heart is trying so hard to communicate with the brain and it could just have equal tracks from the heart to the brain as the brain to the heart but since the brain's not listening to the heart the heart's trying to create more neural pathways and more neural pathways and more neural pathways to hope that the brain will listen and it's sending more and more and more signal until it finally sends so much signal that we're in fight or flight when there's no reason to be in fight or flight, which is sort of what happens in psychosis sometimes where we're in fight or flight yet nothing's really happening. It's happening internally because it's like the heart finally is the only message it can get through is fight or flight is you haven't been listening to the subtle things all along, all throughout your life. So now you've walked through your life to a point where the heart has just given up and it's like fight or flight, fight or flight. I can't give you anything else than fight or flight. That's all you can feel. You can't feel the subtleties. You can't see the subtleties. You can't hear the subtleties. So I was wondering if that's one of the reasons why we have so many more pathways from the heart to the brain. And that's something I just made up, but it just made me feel, it just made me think about how a tree will grow bigger and bigger roots when it needs to get the nutrients deeper and deeper. So there's some kind of nutrition that the heart's trying to give to the brain, but the brain's not listening. So it just makes thicker and thicker pathways until the brain finally hears. But when it does hear, it's just like, terrifying and we're talking ourselves out of life by talking to ourselves we're abstracting and so we're not one with life we're abstracting about the past which is dead so we're not actually living life I was thinking about the lake and how since it was frozen there were people skating on the lake and if it wasn't frozen you wouldn't be able to skate on the lake. You could maybe canoe or swim if it was summertime. And it's the same water. It's just different conditions and the different conditions change the medium. And I'm thinking about sort of how the brain is the same brain cells, but there's some kind of condition that changes in the brain that changes the medium of the brain in a way that different activities can be done. So in the normal consciousness medium, it's sort of like ego habit tracks. And then when we decouple from that and we're in the transconscious process, all of a sudden we're acting in different ways because it's a different medium. We're in touch with different aspect of the brain and it could just be a change in consciousness it's all consciousness but it's sort of like a higher temperature of consciousness a higher level a higher oxygenation of consciousness and then we can see differently and when we see differently we act differently it's kind of like how we don't question that Gaia that the universe that the cosmos that earth changes the weather and it changes the conditions of the weather, we don't ever think that there's some factor that can change the conditions of our consciousness. 
And I was thinking about how most of the stuff we say in our heads to ourselves, we would never say out loud. So if, it, if we wouldn't say it out loud, why is it even worth repeating over and over again? We probably shouldn't hear our own voice unless we actually hear it speaking out loud. And they say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I would say, if you don't have anything worth saying, don't think it. I was thinking about the blind spot again and how the brain fills in 50% of our visual field based on pattern. And I was, I'm wondering, I'm wondering about that. I feel like that 50% might actually be our creative space. So when we're in this passive habit mode, the brain has to fill in this 50%. But when we actually switch to perceiving, to seeing everything, we have that extra information available and that is the moment and we can respond to it. So in that way, the perception is a creative act because we're perceiving and acting in the moment and then that's a creative process. It's not a passive process with our blind spot on. I feel like the blind spot could be the creation spot. Instead of allowing the brain to fill in that 50%, why aren't we filling that in? or at least looking for what is actually there. The brain might fill it in because we've been made passive, because we're half asleep. And it could be the right side of our brain is the one that's sleeping. So they say we have this blind spot, but really we're just not using our whole brain. And the right side of the brain is for pattern recognition, but we're actually not recognizing patterns. And that's what happens when we go into map consciousness, we're recognizing patterns. So I'm actually realizing that we're just using our whole brain to perceive. We're not just using the linear, logical, abstracting side of our brain. And so all of a sudden we can recognize patterns. So we're probably recognizing the pattern in that blind spot area, in that so-called blind spot. It's not really a blind spot. We're just blind to that spot because we're not using that part of our brain that looks in that way. And that would be part of the information overload is that all of a sudden we have access to more information because we're using our whole brain. And the right side of the brain isn't really valued in society and it never has been. Just sort of realized that today and I have no idea if it's true, but seems to make some kind of sense. I feel we're either translating our memories or we can translate the universe. So we see and translate through our memories and we think we are our memories, we think we're our past and our ego self. But when we don't think like that anymore, we can think with the universe we can translate the universe and translate what we see into words. 
And it's not like we would just say, oh, that's a flower. That's a word. That's a label. But we would see holistically and we would see the pattern around the flower and, and more information about the flower. It's like the flower is telling us its secrets. And if we could actually see the world in this way, we wouldn't want to destroy it because we would see the intelligence of it all. Just as gravity can be used to stretch our bodies, we can lean forward and stretch the back of our legs. Consciousness can stretch our brain cells, the field of consciousness. Leaning into the field of consciousness instead of being held by the ego. Want to share a side-by-side -side photo to illustrate the point that just because one is labeled with a mental health diagnosis doesn't mean that one needs to be destroyed by it. So the first pictures when I was put on antipsychotics the very first time and it was probably in July of 2011 and I'm just putting it beside a picture of me recently to show that in five and a half years I haven't deteriorated physically at least but it's also to show that if I would have remained on antipsychotics, I likely wouldn't be where I am today. So I was put on them and it gave me an akesthesia reaction. I thought I was gonna jump off a bridge. So I went back to the hospital and I insisted not to be put on any antipsychotics whatsoever. And it was probably a best practice and protocol with the diagnosis I was given of bipolar disorder for me to be on antipsychotics. And I insisted not to be. And I just imagined where the trajectory of my health would have gone had I not insisted and had I not been listened to. I was listened to. Luckily I had a new doctor, young doctor, and she really collaborated with me and I was very fortunate because I could have had somebody like I had in April who was just like, no, you're going on antipsychotics. So here's the picture. And again, that's a picture of not being on antipsychotics for the entire five and a half years that I've been labeled. I was on other medication, but I feel Antipsychotics are very damaging. And the next picture is, there's a couple of pictures. One is a couple of days before I was hospitalized. I was suffering internally, but I looked okay. And that was April 2nd, 2016. And then the next picture is April 19th, 2016. And that's when I was put on antipsychotics and I was being tapered up to long-term high-dose antipsychotics.
And then the next picture is a month later on May 17th, I went home from the hospital in like May 4th or something. And by May 17th, I was probably on just a little tiny bit of the antipsychotics because I managed to switch doctors and was tapered down off the antipsychotics that I said I didn't want to be put on in the first place. And so, as you can see, I'm happy, smiling, almost back to myself, didn't need long-term antipsychotics. I feel like when that distress happens to me, I need a bit of a reset, I need a bit of a respite, but I don't need daily fear-based, oh my God, it's gonna come back. It might come back, but when it comes back, it's just temporary. So I don't need daily stuff. And how many other people are just over-medicated just because it's a fear-based what-if, just-in-case mentality? And the thing is, I wouldn't even be against that if it didn't have all the terrible side effects and if people actually were able to live happy and healthy lives while taking it. But most of the times, being on the medication is nearly as painful as being off. And the thing is, it's daily pain versus extreme pain for a week. So I'd rather have extreme suffering for one week than pain and and discomfort and weight gain and everything every single day. But it takes it takes some awareness to be able to manage that, I guess, or or not even manage that, but be able to advocate for oneself to not be poisoned daily. So yeah, those are some more pictures just illustrating what my face looks like when I'm on those antipsychotics. It wouldn't get better, that's for sure. My face would just get more and more bloated and everything. And, and this isn't to say it's about cosmetics. It's just to show that what is happening on the outside is mirrored on the inside. And if it's not making me happier, it's not making me better. It's just making me more, more stuck, really. It, it makes it stuck. It makes it so it can't move through. The, the process can't move through me. I get stuck there and I get stuck in that pain. And that's why, again, in the psych ward, I didn't take very many PRNs at all. A couple the first few days, and I was in there for like a month. And then after that, it's like, no, I'm just going to take the pain. I've been having dreams the last couple of nights, and I haven't been sleeping quite as well. So I need to be a little bit more watchful, for sure. I had a dream that I was at this performance, and a woman was telling a joke and it was taking a bit for the joke to unfold but it's sort of like you have to be paying attention you have to be listening to the joke as it unfolds if you miss something you're not gonna get the joke 
And then this person was talking in a linear way and talking over the joke teller. And they were talking about music, but they were talking about how after a certain part of the music, you have to do this other part of the music. And they were sort of, even though it wasn't related to the joke, in the dream it felt like it was. But what was happening was this person, instead of listening to the joke, was getting caught up in all this factual stuff, like, like, oh, this is the logical linear way, blah, blah, blah. And I was trying to whisper to this person, like, it's a joke, like, be quiet and listen so you can, you can get the joke. And you're actually kind of ruining it for people by, by talking over the joke. And the person was just very stuck in that. And I got really mad. I was like, this person is just too dumb to get it. So that was sort of the thing. It's like, I don't know, maybe people are just too dumb to get it. To get the joke. The joke is on us. The joke is us. We're the joker and the joke. And I was talking on the phone with the lady from True Hope the other day. EMP and she was talking about how if we get something from the outside the body gets lazy and stops making it and she was talking about melatonin she was saying if we take melatonin every night the body gets lazy and stops making it and I was actually taking melatonin every night because I have some and I was actually just trying to use it up so I realized oh maybe I should stop taking it so that could be part of my sleep troubles. I'm not taking melatonin. But I actually felt like when I heard her say that, I'm like, there's an extrapolation there. But it didn't really occur to me what it was. And I might have written down something about it, but I don't remember. But then this morning when I was laying in bed, an extrapolation came to me. And that might be part of the joke too, is we can't extrapolate the joke. We can't find the greater meaning within the linear words being said if we're busy with our own linearity put over top of it. So it's not about it's not about listening to the words of the joke to logically understand the joke. It's about listening and waiting for that extrapolation to arise to get it. And just as we can do that with humor as part of our humanity, we can do that with wisdom. And that's actually part of what leads me back to the thing about getting things from the outside. So the extrapolation that came to me was that when we're busy looking for the answers outside in the next how-to, in the next program, in the next person that comes our way, when we're busy trying to get it from the outside, information, we're not connected to our inner wisdom because when we're trying to get it from the outside 
taking it from the outside, our mind, our being, our wisdom, our inner wisdom gets lazy and turns off. Just like if we take melatonin and the body stops making melatonin. If we take information, the body stops making information. We're so busy looking for it out there that we've forgotten that those realizations actually come from the inside. By looking, just as children, if we'd look at something, we'd probably have an aha moment before we knew about aha moments. We probably existed as eureka and serendipity all the time because we'd see connections. So it's about seeing connections, which is part of the extrapolation process, which isn't about seeing right or wrong, which isn't about seeing good or bad, which isn't about judging things according to our past memories and our opinions, which are just memories of other sentences people gave us and then we live a life sentence of other people's sentences and we're not actually creating our own sentences we're not creating our own words by perceiving in the moment because we're looking for the answers out there and then we're looking for the answers out there in order to translate that into our inner voice to repeat in our heads to try and remember something interesting to say next time when if we're interested and curious what we want to say will arise. And that's part of this voice reversal process. When we're not translating information from the, from the outside into our voice and repeating it, we can see the outside and that gets translated into our real voice. So it's this voice reversal process. And I actually feel that's partly what I connected with in Mania the first time. I remember I was always talking to myself back then so self-dialogue right now for me is partly embodied mania because I talked about do the things you would do in mania, just do it without feeling that mania. Well, that's what I'm doing now because I was talking to myself a lot and I recorded a lot of it on audio because it was six years ago and, and video just, it wasn't as fast and things and phones weren't as, as powerful. So this is part of embodied mania, self-dialogue apparently, but I feel it's become more pruned in that if I would go back and listen to what I talked about before, six years ago, there was probably some insightful things, but there was also stuff that was sort of out there. It's almost like those bits of that other voice of the inner wisdom are very disjointed and disconnected and it's like, speaking them and forming random brain cells here and there and here and there until it creates enough of a matrix in the brain of fluid brain cells to start to make the connections and then when it does that then when the neurons fire they're firing in the right pattern and they're creating the right pattern of firing and the right waves of energy in there that's actually more congruent with the outside and the outside is the inside. So we get connected with that inner wisdom. And it reminds me of how Dr. Albert V, I can never say his last name, Vitilido. I could say his last name, I just never remember how it's spelled. He writes the book One Spirit Medicine, which is a great book actually. And he talks, when I went to see him speak in person, I remember him saying that nature selects for wisdom 
And I feel like this is the wisdom. It's the wisdom of perception. When we can actually see and give voice to that which we see, not repeating a voice of that which we saw for the last 30 years. That's not wisdom, that's just recordings. And, and life is not a recording. This is not a recording. We're either recording or we're reordering. We can reorder our brain cells or we can cause them to become more comfortable with being fluid and dynamic or we can record and cause the brain cells to congeal together. And now they talk a lot about rewire your brain and I'm thinking, I don't think we want any wires in our brain. We want fluid matrix. So they're always selling us the next best habit, the next best thing to rewire our brain with. And, and I feel like if we wire our brain, we're creating tunnel vision. We're creating that reality tunnel of that habit, of that wire. I feel like we don't want any wires. It's more like de-wire your brain. We want wires as nerves that power our arms and our muscles because it's very limited in the motion, you know, just moves in space-time like, like this. But our brain cells, they need to be infinitely pliable, as Krishnamurti would say, not wired. If we wire something, we're saying, oh yes, this person knows something that I don't know and I'm going to imitate them. Part of this self-dialogue with myself is it's something that it can't be imitated. I'm not saying this is how you do this or this is how you do that. It's more about the dialogue process and how dialogue always being new as it's not discussion, it's not debate. Debating is baiting old neurons. One can always see something new. So if we try to get wisdom from the outside, we stop making it from within. We stop creating our own inner wisdom. And it makes sense with the stuff I was talking to myself about. If we only have our own inner voice going on, which isn't our voice at all, it's old stuff people told us translated into our voice. We're not going to hear our real voice, which is the voice that happens when we don't hear that recorded voice going on, on repetition. Because that sound is what's in the way. It's blocking the totality of the light coming in. Because that sound produces images that are in the way of what it is that we're supposed to see. It's projecting a pattern, an image out into reality if we're seeing things while we're going about our day. And that's likely partly what causes the blind spot as well, is that we're blind because we have this thing on our mind screen in the way. So then the brain has to fill in the rest. Otherwise there'd just be this dark hole there and that would just be weird. I feel like maybe we don't have a blind spot when we're no longer projecting. We're projecting our past onto the present. And then we can't see the present and we can't speak about the present moment. If we could speak from the present moment, we wouldn't be bored. We wouldn't have desire. 
we wouldn't have all these things and all those things are the things that are in the way of seeing in the present moment so it's it's just it's a loop and the main thing of it all is that we can't see what we're doing and therefore we can't see and therefore we can't see what we're doing and that's part of why map consciousness is important it shows us what we're doing and and it's it's kind of a scary process to see that and to experience that but since we can't see what we're doing how are we going to have our vision restored while well, the universe sometimes has to do it for us and for some of us we become seekers instead of seers we're seeking information we're seeking getting better instead of seeing and if we can see properly we can act properly and we would naturally unfold and get better and it would just happen because everything happens without us doing anything anyway we just think we're actually doing something and that's part of the scary process of map consciousness is we see we're not doing anything it's just happening but we're thinking that we're doing something therefore we think we're doing something so when that thinking process starts to switch from doing to witnessing seeing and happening and understanding to understanding what's happening versus trying to do something about what's happening and thinking we're doing something when really things are just happening and because we're seeking something else we can't see what arises within us within our consciousness when we're not seeking but we're seeing but most of us we don't want to see what we're doing we don't want to see what we're doing to ourselves we don't want to see what we're doing to each other and we really see that in map consciousness it starts off really wonderful and then at the end it's like oh my god like look what we're doing to each other look what we're doing to each other look what we're doing to ourselves and then the people that go through that and fall out of it at the end look what's done to them and that just amplifies the tragedy of it all we might be getting somewhere in reality when people who go through this transformation through this inner journey are treated as such and not as pathological because they really have gone through heaven and hell and they probably have things to share about their journey but nobody listens because people are just labeled and written off and so again this is me talking to me and if anyone ever sees this it isn't about listening to me it's about listening to oneself which is waiting for something else to pop up. So if one only hears one's own judgments and opinions of, oh, this is great, this is bad, this is good, that's going to prevent that inner extrapolation from happening because the whole point is extrapolation. And if you start to be able to begin to extrapolate for yourself, you will feel self-reliant. You won't feel dependent on everything that is trying to buy our attention and that's part of the whole desire is we've been 
program to look outward because of all the marketing and everything. And then we desire this, we desire that. And because we're so focused on desire from marketing and everything, our brain has been warped in that way. And since it's been warped in that way, it's not in this calm, relaxed, witness state, observing, waiting, happening. And then that's when it can actually create the right internal chemistry in the brain. It can create those five neurochemicals of flow. Right now we're creating so much dopamine that just as if I take melatonin from the outside, I'm gonna stop making it. Well, if I'm creating too much dopamine on the inside, that's gonna change my DNA epigenetically to create all that dopamine because I'm addicted to it. Our brains are addicted to dopamine, so then it can't actually create that richness of our inner pharmacy that we can create for ourselves. We can create that for ourselves when we can see. And then it's just naturally created, and then we're in flow. If we can see, we're in flow. Flow is of perception. Because only through perception can we act. If we don't see something, we can't act on it. And we have this blind spot of 50% of our visual field. We're definitely not acting in full capacity in reality. We're reacting constantly to the past. We're, we're living in the past. That 50% of the visual field that we do have is just our past and our past projections. There's 50% of the world that we're missing, which is, which is more about creation and wisdom and seeing and unfoldment. So extrapolation is just the same as how the brain interprets humor. It knows there's some other meaning than just X plus Y equals Z. And just as some people might find something funny and some people might find something not funny, either way, the person is intending to be humorous. So through the extrapolation process, one might find something interesting or not interesting, but it's still extrapolation. So our brain has this other process of seeing and, and meaning making and, and playing with words and and using words and using words creatively as opposed to destructively. Words are creative when we speak from what we see, not from what we know or knew or think from before. And I feel like this is about getting the brain to learn again. And one of the ways to get the brain to learn is to speak about what one sees in the moment. Because the sound of our own voice creates brain cells. It either wires our brain in these circular loops, in these grooves, in this scar tissue in the brain. We're scarring ourselves by repeating the same things over and over. Just like if I was just to touch my own leg constantly for the next 10 years, there would be a mark there. Even if I touch it lightly, even if it seems subtle. And I wonder what, what happens if I keep talking to myself this way in self-dialogue. 
I feel like when I started this process, I had no intention, I had no motive really, and I still don't. And perhaps that's what allows me to see things that I never thought that I would see, because if I had a certain motive, I'm only going to see within that narrow framework. So don't be lazy. Make your own wisdom. Make your own meaning. And I recall talking about how mania is a meaning-making process. It's hyper-meaning. And that's part of what happens when the brain turns on. And it feels really meaningful at first because to actually learn in that way feels meaningful. Having different insights and, and thoughts occur, new thoughts, not old thoughts, but new thoughts feels meaningful because, because it hasn't happened that way. And all of a sudden everything feels hyper meaningful. But the process of self-dialogue and unfolding it more and more, the meaning isn't attributed to any particular thing. It's more like there's no meaning but to really see the new. Because everything is always new anyway. It's just a matter of being able to step back into that vantage point because we're always seeing the old because we see our old thoughts. So even when thinking, one could see that's not new. And if it's not new, it's not now. So I wonder if you can see what I'm saying. If you can see what I'm saying, you're probably extrapolating. Meaning, you hear your own inner whisper, not even in your own voice. But you have an insight and you have a holistic perception of something new, not that stronger voice of your own voice, of the recordings in your head. When we have our own voice talking in our head, it makes our nervous system blind because those vibrations are going through our nervous system. Those are waves and they're interfering with the waves that we would be perceiving, the waves of light. And those waves of light would be what speak through us. Light is transformed into sound through us. But most of us live in blindness because we have our voice used against us and we're in our own head. And I was thinking about special messages and how they're actually extrapolations. They're reading between the lines. And then we feel like we're getting special messages because we actually can see for the first time. Again, since being a child. So special messages are actually just being able to see. And then it's reading between the lines so we see the meanings of some of the things that we see. And it's seeing patterns, which is seeing more than just a limited amount of information. 
and this whole process feels special when it's just the learning process turning back on and we can't learn if we can't see. So the brain needs to adapt to seeing in this new way and I feel like the wisdom is part of the pruning process. So extrapolation turned on, learning turned on, vision turned on is like this explosion and it's too much information and then wisdom can help to prune it so wisdom might even be speaking to somebody else who's gone through this voice reversal vision reversal hyper learning neuroplastic process we have to learn how to see again and so then wisdom and intuition are awakened so it's seeing with our intuition and our wisdom. And a lot of times people feel like everything's too loud. It's because we become highly sensitive. It's almost like the more salt we eat, the more salt we'll need to actually taste the salt. Well, the dopamine desire pleasure complex in the brain is the same thing. We need more pleasure, more pleasure, more pleasure. And so it edits out everything else. We don't we're not sensitive to the rest of the field of information besides what it is that will give us pleasure or what it is that will help us to avoid pain. And that's okay for people who want to remain human machines. So when that process loses its hold on us, then other aspects of reality are turned back up in terms of volume and it takes some time to adjust. The brain isn't permanently defective, it just needs some time to adjust. And the trouble is that it has trouble adjusting to some of the things that we should all have trouble adjusting to. Some of the things in society that need to be designed out of society. And that's part of the point of the whole process too. It's not just to create one's own new little comfortable plan, but to help change the world based on what we see from our different perspective. So it's not that the brain's defective, it's that it's working in a different way. It's actually working in a holistic way. The whole brain is trying to work again, and we've been using just a little portion of our brain. It's actually a very powerful state, and the thing is that if we don't know how to, to be aware of that, then we can be misinterpreted by society. Society doesn't usually treat people well who see things differently. Society is myopic and map consciousness, trans consciousness, seeing something else is utopic. Perception creates language and language creates brain cells. If it's created in the brain, then it exists. And that's why everything that has been programmed into us exists in reality. 
through this process of self-dialogue, I've created a lot of other context in my brain that seems to be pruning out any associations my brain cells might make to the brain cells being defective. Our brain cells have been told they're defective. And then if they believe that, they're going to follow suit. But through self-dialogue, created something different in my brain and by having it different in my brain I'm going to relate in a different way. So if language creates brain cells we can grow our own brains with our own language and it can be the language of wisdom of perception in the moment. Something else is trying to communicate with us. Life which is the moment now is trying to communicate with us and by being perceptive in the moment we can give voice to that life instead of thought which is old in our head and this isn't about mental illness versus normality this is about blindness versus seeing as children we're learning 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 and then we go to school and they educate us to be dependent on outside elements in order to learn, which stops us from learning. It gets us to memorize things. And when we memorize things, we're programmed. And through this process, it perpetuates everything downstream. Because then we're always grasping for things to, to be educated. To be educated is different than learning. We're so full of education that we don't have anything original of our own. And since we're not original of, our, of ourselves, how can we ever be satisfied? And we're so full of other people's information that maybe one day one little idea breaks through our mind and we're like, whoa. That's awesome. And they're like, I'm going to form a business around this one idea because it was so great. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying that if our brains were learning again, we would have good ideas constantly. And we would just share them openly because we would know that we can't do them all ourselves. And our own ideas and insights would be just as plentiful as say money or something or water and they've even managed to sell us water even though water is like one of the fundamental things in the world what I'm trying to say is by getting our brains to stop learning and thinking and seeing we get one good idea then we form a business and then we devote our life to that one good idea and by having a business and charging money for it we alienate ourselves from other people and then we're always trying to get people to want what we are trying to sell. Whereas if most of us had our brains activated and we're just learning and learning and sharing, we would just co-create and collaborate something together based on that infinite sharing as it unfolds. We wouldn't be like, ooh, this is my idea. No, good ideas are just everywhere. They're everywhere, they're every when. Anyone can see them anywhere. So to think, oh, I gotta find a good idea and then claim it and patent it and all this is 
just shows our scarcity of who we are as human beings. It's not even about scarcity of money. There's scarcity of money because we're not sharing infinitely the real currency, which is perception, language, sharing, being connected through that sharing and through that process of seeing things together and thinking together. Not thinking, oh, this is my little thought idea, and then separating ourselves based on that. If we were connected to this infinite learning process, we wouldn't even think, this is my idea. It's the very process of the me and mine that blocks the ideas. And then one squeaks through and then the me, my claims it and is like, oh, wow, this is great. I have a purpose. And you know, then that creates purpose and that creates everything, like just from, just from turning our brains off. And then if we do have an idea squeak through, the me actually turns off more ideas squeaking through by clinging on to that idea. If our brains were learning, it would be more like, I extrapolate this, I see this. Do you see that? And it's not a thing. It's a pattern, it's a process, it's a it's a it's a vision. And the other person, yeah, I see that. Was that something you want to work on together? Yeah. And then it unfolds like that. It's unfolding what we see. And that's what people do when they have ideas and inventions and things. But I'm thinking that we all have access to that. But since we're not in connection with this creative visualization process, it's seeing something and seeing the more, seeing the beyond of that. I think part of this whole mental illness and spectrum of consciousness differentiating, it's differentiating away from learning because it seems like we're not allowed to learn the way the brain is designed to learn. And the brain's designed to learn a certain way, but is programmed into not learning through education. And then some brains manage to break out of that pattern because the pattern is, is false, it's not natural. So the brain cells sort of break the pattern. The brain cells themselves break the pattern because the brain is designed to grow. Just like if you put cement sidewalk right beside a big tree, the tree roots are going to break the sidewalk because the tree roots are designed to grow and it's more powerful than any false stuff we can build. Even a dam over time, a river dam, will crack from the water poking at it. So the brain cells are always poking at the ego programmed barrier and it's just a matter of time before they break. Sometimes it never breaks, but in a lot of people it breaks. And not only that, now kids are being born with so-called autism, which is just the brain saying, I'm gonna learn my own way. I'm not gonna learn the way that, the brain cells don't wanna be programmed. They're getting programmed by language turns, turned against us. And then kids born with autism, they can't have that process happen. So the brain is working and living in a different order. 
And if we see any negative effects of that, it's only because those poor children have to b bump up against the falseness of the structures that we've created. The brain is going to create something else. We're not allowed to see in that way. We're not allowed to learn in that way. We're not allowed to talk in that way. We're allowed to talk as our ego programs. That makes everyone comfortable. So that could be part of this whole trans-conscious process is being able to maintain the ego consciousness to make other people comfortable and being able to also be connected to the trans-consciousness where the brain is learning through this perception. Because the brain wants to learn in this way. That's why a person who is diagnosed with bipolar always will have so-called relapse because the brain is always going to keep trying to learn in this way. It's not because the brain is becoming more defective. I've had five episodes and my brain is not more defective. As I learn and understand, it's actually becoming more integrated. If I was to adopt a story of defectiveness, I would never wonder about my brain. I would just think, well, you're defective. I'll just watch TV. Being aware, being a witness, watching the world and the universe is way more interesting than watching TV. Again, I watch reality in MC squared. The light of my eyes meets the light of the sun meets matter. And just like we need our vision and the sun shining and droplets of water to see a rainbow, you need all three of those things. You need light of the sun, light of a person, and matter, which is like droplets of water, of energy. It's like matter is droplets of energy, and then that creates the rainbow. But also what it is that we are seeing which part of the matter that we're seeing is what equals the energy that we're outputting. So what energy are we unfolding by what we're seeing? It's all in E equals MC squared. And as Einstein said in an interview, the M is actually supposed to be love. So the highest would be love. But we can see anger, and then that's the energy that's output. We can see all the different lowers levels of consciousness. So which level of consciousness are we at? Are we unfolding? Are we imprinting energetically in the quantum hologram? Map consciousness is just seeing the power of our own brain. It's seeing behind the veil of thoughts, seeing behind all of our brain wiring, our desiring wiring. And then we go into something else that is way more rich than program desires. And we walk through that world. We're walking through our own brain. And we see how powerful our brain is. And the trouble is that if we turn that into desire, we actually lose that power in our brain. Because the me is not part of that power, yet the me wants to be powerful. So when we get in connection with the power of our brain and we start thinking, well, I'm gonna use this for me, then we fall flat on our face because the me is the 
thing that impedes the power of the brain. So we have to be completely selfless. We have to be completely altruistic. We have to be trans-conscious altruists in order to unfold the power of our brain. And how do we do that without desire? How do we do that without motivation? How do we do that without all those elements that are the me, which are the things that get in the way? I feel part of the possibility as being a trans-conscious altruist is that one still has access to the ego and one has access to trans-consciousness. Perhaps one is to communicate in a way that other people see the same thing. Also harvesting, practicing, and embodying. Embodying how one was in mania as an ego. And in that way sort of marrying the two, marrying that consciousness and the ego. So can one be really egoic in the way that trans-consciousness would program us to be? Not program, but that's how we're actually designed. So can we be in alignment as our ego self with the design of how we are innately in our being? And one could think, well, why not just get rid of the ego completely? Well, that, again, would might lead one to walk on into infinity, no longer recognized by oneself or others, because part of what keeps a trans-conscious individual embodied as their ego self is interacting with people who know the person, and they project that onto you. So it's important to hang out with people who see the more, but also can help one maintain one's identity. And in a way, it's sort of a disguise. Because there's this realization that one knows that one could easily forget who one is as an ego. Yet, if that happened somehow, people who that person, that ego, who's no longer the ego, love would come back and try and help the person remember who they are. And then be like, oh yeah, that's me, yeah, sure. So, I have no idea what I'm talking about here, but it's kind of a disguise. When one comes back from trans-consciousness, we need to remain in disguise. And it's not disguise as some big hidden thing. It's more disguise. It's removing the guise. So we're trying to actually remove the guise of others by remaining in disguise ourselves, by remaining as our ego and not being like, I'm just Jesus. That's like of no value. People don't understand that. You think about Jesus, he said, be as a child. He didn't say talk about me all the time. He didn't say walk around like I do and say these same kind of scriptures. He said be as a child, which is be random, be synchronous, be silly, be ridiculous, 
be in the moment. This whole process definitely has something to do with vision. Usually when I'm in so-called psychosis and it's right before I'm hospitalized, I have trouble focusing. I actually feel like if I'm doing something, I can see in front of me, but I can't see in front of me. It's really weird. I feel actually blind, even though I can actually see. And maybe that's part of it actually, is that when we're in our ego consciousness, we're blind, but we can see. And that's why when I'm coming to the end of the process, when I'm reconnecting with the ego way of perceiving, which isn't perceiving at all, it's recognition. So part of recognition is actually blindness because we're always seeing the old. So I think that could be why all of a sudden I feel like I can't see. I can't see what's right in front of me. And it's because I'm going back to that ego consciousness. It's really weird to actually feel like you can see but you can't see. Normally, I think in ego consciousness, we can't see, but we think we can see. But to be in that state where you can see, but you realize you can't, is really weird. So I feel like it's actually this vision and voice reversal process that happens, and one can sort of oscillate between the two. And it could be that when one first goes into mania, the vision and voice reversal is very strong, very meaningful, very high and then when one comes down it's very low and then the oscillation evens out over time so then one might oscillate between ego and vision and ego and vision and and be used to it sort of like how our muscles in our eyes have to contract in order to change the shape of the lens so we can zoom in and out there could be a zooming in and out and a muscle process in the eyes that happens that's even beyond what we regularly would think is the, the normal vision process. And it could be partly, I talked about relaxed perception and it could be that these muscles in the eyes relax and we're more taking in things in our eyes than actually projecting outwards. And it could be that when I was coming back to the ego, I still couldn't project outwards. So then there was nothing there. It was like, I felt blind, like there's the blind spot. We're always blind. And so there's something to do with the lens for sure in the eyes and relaxed perception versus always trying to focus. Cause when we're focusing, we're not actually seeing. If we're focusing on this much of reality, even by thinking is focusing our focus to this little pinhole we're missing out on everything else so we have a very big blind spot maybe we have like 95% blind spot we think we have 50% and it probably is true because we're just focusing on the 5% of our brain the recognition that's happening the camel process it could be about the muscles in the eyes And as that wave comes in and takes one over, 
I've experienced each time I've gone into so-called psychosis, map consciousness, trans-consciousness, that it gets easier each time. And it's shorter, and it's almost like the wave is going like this over time. They like to program us to believe that it's going to get worse over time. Maybe it gets worse over time because over time, generally, more and more medications are added. I've been lucky enough to escape that, and it hasn't gotten worse and worse. I'm on less medications today than I've ever been on. So to me, it's more about adjusting to the perception, the different mode of perceiving. And that can only get stronger with not being on something that blocks the process. If we're on something that blocks the process, it's not going to get stronger. That would be like saying, if you want your leg to get stronger, never move your leg. Well, we have to be able to move our brain cells. We have to be able to move our eyes. We have to be able to, to perceive. I actually feel like meds actually do mess up our vision. I remember the first time I was put on antipsychotics, I couldn't see, and I had to wear reading glasses, and I couldn't even I couldn't even read on a I couldn't even read a page. And so, if we think of how this process is actually getting us to see properly. Well, if you can give something that actually blocks the ability to see and actually distorts vision, then that process isn't going to continue. So a lot of how it could work is actually just blocking seeing and making us blind again. Like, oh yeah, everything's okay. I don't have to change anything. Only vision can change the world. And I might be labeled with bipolar disorder, but I feel that people with a clinical eye have universal myopic disorder of the serious and persistent kind. I'm said to have a biological condition, but I've never been shown any kind of biological test that confirms this. So to me, psychiatrists in the system they're just a bunch of storytellers. They tell me a story about myself to explain everything away. And it's a pretty crappy story. It's not one that I would ever want to hear again. It's funny how people think that they want awe. They want awe. They want awe. And that was beautiful experience. Wow. But you know, awe extended past just ah becomes mania and people don't want mania because then you become psychiatrized so it's okay to have that quick glimpse that quick perception that quick vision of seeing something in the moment but if you see more than just a moment's worth before the ego voice comes in and and starts to say wow that was so special i can't wait to have that again then you will be medicated. So be careful what you wish for. You don't want awe, you want to think about awe. And then you have one little awe and then you think about that awe and that holds you over till the next awe. People who go into map consciousness are awesome. They have some awe. They... Awe is when the ego is absent. And if it's absent for too long, 
you forget who you are and then you start talking like you're somebody else and when you start talking like you're somebody else you might be captured and labeled and drugged so be careful of all imagine if we were all saying out loud what we were thinking in our head we wouldn't go out in public and likely most of those thoughts are not anything related to awe. So when we have this constant stream of non-awe, how do we expect to experience awe? It's because we want a certain experience of awe that we miss awe. Because awe is always something different. So even if we do have a moment of awe, forget it and move on. I was talking to a friend about raw food and cooked food the other day and I was thinking that a transconscious brain is kind of like a raw brain and an ego brain is sort of like a cooked brain. It's fried. It's fried with the wires in it. I feel like map consciousness and transconsciousness changes what we're tuned into so we're no longer tuned into the wires of the ego we're tuned into everything it's like we have infinite little antennas in our brain for anything and everything instead of a few big deep wires of desire and we really want richness we really want change yet change only happens in the brain and when we're wired, we can't change. And then when we're wired, we think that we're this me, which is the wiring. And then we think that the me has to do something to change the wiring. So it tries to do something to change the programming instead of just being and seeing. We treat our brain like it's a muscle. Like we have to contract it in order for it to work in order for it to be held up but it's more like connective tissue it's more like a fluid matrix it's for seeing connection so we have to tune into something else and then we see we don't make the rules but when we're in tune we might uncover the rules and be able to play with those other rules and then master them. Master this other energy that moves us. To me, map consciousness and trans consciousness is like reverse flow. So there's people trying to learn how to get into flow. They're sort of learning the rules to get to flow. Whereas people who go into map consciousness spontaneously go into flow to learn the rules. So you can either be ego consciousness and sort of progressively learn to train oneself to exist in those other rules. Or one can be just sprung into it and have to try to learn the rules while they're in it. It's more difficult to be sprung into it and learn the rules by trial and error and that's why it's sort of like being a kid again.
because kids sort of explore and grasp at things to learn the rules whereas by taking a course it's like oh somebody else knows the rules and they're just going to tell me sort of like trying to tell a kid how to walk versus just allowing them to learn how to walk. If people who want to take a flow course were just were able to see, then they wouldn't necessarily need a how-to. How to flow is how to see. Yet, how do you teach how to see when seeing is just seeing, it's something we take for granted? We think we see, so we think therefore we don't see. We're looking for ourselves outside of ourselves. We're looking for the one that looks. We're looking for the one that sees. And the one that sees flows. You don't have to have any kind of how-to. Once you know how to see, you don't need any how-tos. People who go into flow spontaneously through map consciousness or trans consciousness are medicated out of flow. It's sort of like they can't stop the flow from flowing. And it's a confusing place to be because to flow is to not know. I think I know, therefore I don't flow. And in the stuff that Jamie Wheel sent about the flow course, he talked about becoming flow prone and I thought I'm flow prone and I don't need a course to make that happen. What if people who are diagnosed with a mental illness just saw themselves as prone to flow? People with ego consciousness are prone to know and therefore say no to flow. It's not necessarily how to get into flow. It's to see and then see that we are flow. Right now we're a flow of words in our head. We're a flow of abstractions, which is a distraction from the flow. And the flow is really the flow of perception, the flow of the new, of new perceptions. So if somebody sees something and they feel awe, it's because they saw something. It's a perception. And so if you're always in touch with that, If you're always in touch with that new perception, then you're in flow. But as soon as you say, wow, that was awesome, that was so amazing, that was an awe experience, I want that again, and turn it into desire, then you can no longer flow. Because you have to actually realize that the awe experience isn't that special. It only feels special because we're so much enthralled in our non-specialness, which is the repetition of the old. But we can go from new to new to new to new, and it actually just feels normal. And then that's when flow just feels normal. And then is it really flow anymore? 
because flow makes it sound like something special. And it's a relaxed perception because when we're focused and we're thinking, that's what we see, that's what we select for, that's what we make salient. When we relax our focus, it's more like flocus, which is not focus, it's a relaxed perception. Something else selects for something in the visual field. So if we have one point, just like photography, you take a picture of something and you focus, you can only see that thing. But if you take a picture of the whole field and it's all in focus, a person can look at the picture and they can pick out whatever they want to make salient. So when we're in that relaxed perception, it's flowing in and different new things are actually coming in and making an impression on us, not what it is we're selecting for with our thoughts. So in order to be in flow, I feel, we have to not focus. Because when we are not focused, but attentive, aware of the whole field, not having this 50% blind spot thing going on. Something else grabs our attention and it's not that something that we've been programmed to pay attention to which is what they say with focus and people with ADHD they can't focus on things well that's just another example of how focus isn't natural nature doesn't focus it becomes expansive it becomes more complex it becomes more beautiful when we specialize, we no longer have special eyes. We don't have the eyes that can see anything and everything. If we're not in relaxed perception, if we're not in silence, if we're hearing words, that's focusing our perception. That's focusing our eyes. Those words in our head actually change the structure of our eye muscles and focus and actually project an image out into space which interferes with being able to see what's actually there and if we can't see what's actually there we can't flow and that's one of the ways I think that those athletes are able to get in flow is that they really have to see what's there because if they don't they're not going to be an extreme athlete but they have to go to those extremes in order to put themselves into a position where they have to actually see where they are. and they call that focus but I wouldn't call that focus you have to actually have an expansive visual field to actually take in all the information to be able to surf the big wave if you have a focus you're focusing on one drop of water you can't surf and who is the one that focuses us it's thought it's programming it's the past and if that is in existence we can't see the present moment and we can't flow so it's not about how do I get into flow, it's how do I change the way I see, or do I see that I don't see, and when I see that I don't see, I see. And when you see something and you understand something, it gives your brain energy to grow new brain cells.
We need to understand our brains in order to fully stand under it in the field of consciousness and in the field of gravity. This other way of seeing being and not meing gets us into the flow. The me can't flow, it can only know what it knew and that prevents the new. And the thing is sometimes when we see a new, we come across as a completely different person. And then other people around us are alerted and The ego voice warps our eyes to get us focusing in, this, in the wrong way. We're actually projecting an image outward because we're often caught in the images in our mind. And that's overlaid on the external. As opposed to letting the light come in and create an impression which is invisible. You can't even see it, but you understand it. And then that creates a different voice. And part of my point with comparing this flow thing to mental health challenges and illnesses and all that so-called is that if flow is seen as valuable, a person that goes there through map consciousness should be seen as going into a valuable state and having a valuable experience and a transformative experience. Stephen Kotler says flow heals the brain or flow heals the body. Flow healed his Lyme disease. By surfing it healed his Lyme disease. Well, through surfing consciousness and surfing the universe, it's actually healing our brains. It's actually creating new brain cell growth. It's at first it's not fully reinforced and it never gets reinforced if a person is pathologized and put through the mental health system. There was a conference at Esalen in the 60s or 70s that was titled The Value of Psychotic Experience. And Alan Watts was there and other people. And, and it's like 40 or 50 years later and this still hasn't caught on. Yet, they changed the name to flow. They changed the name from mental illness to flow or mania to flow and then market it and then the people who are going into flow into mania are are medicated so these people taking the flow course if they really go there they're actually going to be drugged so they sell us this flow and then they drug us at the same time for the same thing with a different name so it's important to give it the right name Hence, I do not identify with having a mental illness. And the brain is trying to heal, it's trying to flow, it's trying to rearrange, it's trying to move. And then it's poisoned. Just like somebody, if they have a twitching leg, you can inject some kind of toxin in the leg to get it to stop twitching. And they've done experiments on rabbits where they're in utero and then they inject something to make it so the rabbit can't move and the bones don't form properly because it can't move well if our brain cells can't move because they're being poisoned they're not going to grow properly I think that the ego dopamine circuits are the brain being fried it's like the brain being cooked 
And I was talking to a friend about how I ate raw food for 10 months and how it wasn't boring because an avocado would taste so delicious. It was just amazing because my taste buds healed from the overstimulation of chemicalized food. And so something very simple tasted absolutely amazing. And since our brains have been cooked and chemicalized by all of this false stimulation, we need more and more of it to actually taste anything with our dopamine brain. To even taste the dopamine we're creating, we need more and more and more. Well, this transconscious process cleans the brain in a way and it switches it from being dopamine dominant and it probably creates these inner neural chemicals which not just feel better but are actually the conditions necessary for the other brain cells and the other areas of the brain to grow and take hold and sort of overgrow the weed, the invasive species of the dopamine circuit. And then simply looking around is enough instead of looking around for a certain thing and being on the hunt our brain can't taste life with all of this toxic information going on it's turned our brains into toxic information receivers instead of natural enjoyers of simplicity which isn't boring, it's, it's actually very complex. It's natural, but it's beautiful. And this simple perception, which is rich, is actually what's needed to restore the earth because in our simplicity of seeing, we see the natural beauty and complexity that Gaia is producing and allow that to unfold just as much as we harvest things to create our human structures which actually reduce the complexity. So our simple perception is needed to restore the complexity of the Gaia sphere. And the whole picture sounds strange to ego consciousness. When we perceive, when we see, the whole picture is given voice to and it almost sounds like a stranger, like who is this talking? When it's actually our real voice. I wonder if the map consciousness, trans-consciousness process is a different biorhythm. And I've already talked about that. I was thinking about how if a person's attending lectures all day and using the brain in an intellectual way, by the end of the day, the brain gets tired and it's, it's hard to perceive and absorb more information. And I feel like in map consciousness, a person actually goes into vision into seeing and actually using their whole brain and it's a different learning process than the one that we're used to through education and the brain can exist in that state seeing and learning in that way without having to sit in a classroom to say I'm being educated but actually be in life and being in the process of learning and seeing and perceiving but after a month or a couple weeks or two months, the brain gets tired. Just like it gets tired after six hours in a lecture hall chair, it gets tired after two months in map consciousness, in a different way of perceiving.
and it lasts longer because it's a different biorhythm altogether. It's almost like waking up from the sleep of the ego, which blinds us to the 50%. So it's another waking up, it's another biorhythm, and it's also a learning process, and in that way the brain gets tired. So the brain learns and learns and learns, and then it goes through the mania and and then into the psychosis, which is just mania good, psychosis bad, but there's an entire rich spectrum of everywhere all in between in that good and bad. Mania is not just good or just extreme elation. It's a whole spectrum, it's a whole diverse repertoire of things that arise moment to moment and learning from that. And then psychosis is almost when the brain is starting to get tired. And so in a way, it's just a different biorhythm. It's waking up beyond our normal so-called waking state, which is mostly being blinded by our own projections. And when we're no longer blinded by our own projections, which is the past, which prevents us from learning, we're actually learning, we're actually seeing, but then the brain gets tired. And I was thinking about how these last four days I haven't been sleeping as well, and my brain is a bit tired it feels like and so i had this insight that maybe seeing in this way and extrapolating in this way gets tiring for the brain and when the brain gets tired often it goes into psychosis in this process so even a person who's sleep deprived who doesn't have a mental health diagnosis might start hallucinating when the brain is tired. So I'm seeing this now that it kind of makes sense that the brain gets tired when it comes to psychosis. And the interesting part too about map consciousness is some people sleep like two hours a night or don't sleep for days because the brain is so awake and it's not used to being that awake and perceptive. And it could be awake for, for five days and then it could be, or it could be, um, awake for two months but sleep two hours a night but it's just more awake it's more perceptive and it's learning and it's growing and so when the brain is growing it has trouble sleeping but when it's sort of reached that place where it can't really grow anymore it goes through this process of coming back down from that super awake state back down to the prevailing level of consciousness. And that super awake state creates the brain cells of super awakeness. And if more people had those brain cells, we'd be able to perceive in that way and all exist in that way. But we don't. So our brains come back down just like a balloon slowly releasing its helium. And perhaps that's part of it. There's less oxygen in the brain. It can't be oxygenated as much anymore. So it starts coming back down. It starts to hallucinate just like somebody who doesn't have any kind of diagnosis if they stay up for three four days they're gonna start hallucinating because the brain is tired so in the same way that we work out our muscles and they eventually get tired and we need to rest we can't work them out indefinitely the brain can't necessarily work out as being awake in that other way and that other mode of consciousness indefinitely. One day when our brains are all that way, we won't necessarily have to go back down to awake sleep. 
We won't have to have half of our brain sleeping in order to actually get through the day. And we probably just don't really know the rules of being able to sustain the brain in that awake state. And then so when we go into that hyperawake state, we come down, if we don't actually build in some of those networks in between through making meaning and dialoguing about the experience, then we're just left with the very faint blueprint of the process itself. That would be like saying, because we know how to do one curl for our bicep, the bicep's going to get strong. We have the blueprint for it, we know how to do it, but we actually have to do those motions in order for it to get strong. So map consciousness gives us a blueprint, it's like the training, it's like this is how you do an arm curl. But then it's up to us to be like, oh, I remember that, I was sort of taught that. We have a teacher within us, all those chemicals like oxytocin, DMT, all these other flow chemicals can be released within us by some way and means. And then we have that inner teacher, we have that inner wisdom. And we're moving about reality in a different way, creating different neural connections. But then when we come back to sleeping awake, regular ego consciousness, we need to embody that which we were given the blueprint for. We're so, we get so excited about working out to build our body and we don't think about all the degrees of freedom that we have to move about this reality to create our brains. And I think part of it too is that so much energy is going to the prefrontal cortex in terms of that noise. When it gets diverted to the whole brain, the whole being is way more awake and we're getting more oxygen to the entire brain. We're creating new brain cells and then eventually we get caught back into ego consciousness, awake sleep. And it might not be that that's bad. It might actually be completely necessary to have those breaks from that sort of inner space travel and to come back into the pace of time space of consensus reality but we do have the blueprint so then the next time we go into that higher energy state if we have been doing our practice which is not even a practice it's just seeing what we can see Activating our brains ourselves without having to wait for that energy to come in and do it for us. It gave us the clues, it gave us the map, it gave us the rules of the game. And they're embedded in our brains. And so really, coming back down is just rest. They're always changing the rules for people that do peak performance. It's work out five days a week, rest two, work out one day, rest one work out really hard, work out really slow, work out, like they just keep changing it. And it actually could be that the point is just to keep changing it, not to actually get stuck in one thing. And so even that, and so even the process of map consciousness keeps us from not changing. It changes us. 
It doesn't make us defective, it makes us diverse. Consciousness is trying to diversify itself. So I'm wondering, since I've been talking so much to myself, the other day I had to create my Ascended Master repellent. I might have to put Jesus on there too. Stay away, Jesus. Since that day I felt okay. I think maybe talking to myself about it helped. Maybe laughing about it helped. And And also seeing that my brain is getting tired and and maybe soon I need to rest from self-dialogue or or there's something I need to do to allow my brain to get the energy it needs and actually I'm wondering I'm wondering if too much energy is being diverted to my brain and less to my body because I went ice skating twice and both times just totally fatigued me and right now I'm feeling fatigued just being awake regularly usually I wait until I have a day of feeling kind of low um, to watch Netflix or something which is like once every month or two or three I'll watch like two documentaries and two movies or or whatever but I'm thinking that putting my brain into passive mode might help divert some resources back to my body because the thing too is I've gotten into states of consciousness where I do feel like I'm going to ascend and when I feel like I'm going to ascend I feel like I'm going to become disembodied which translates into maybe ending my body's life and then it's like I ascend but then here in material life it looks like I killed myself in some kind of horrific fashion when really I was ascending and I was fine but I left my body so I would like to stay in my body actually and I feel like the first time I went to the hospital I I never believed I had a mental illness, but I was still okay with that interpretation because it meant I could stay in my body. And it was a way to get me really rooted again in my body was, you're this mentally ill person in this body. So maybe I want to keep that perception. For example, if I start to have this stress where I'm thinking, I'm ascending, ah, and it's, it's feeling scary, I could take something to stop that. Like I could take Seroquel to stop that from happening. So does Seroquel stop psychosis or does it stop ascension? And that would be interpreted as taking medication for my mental illness, whereas I interpret it as taking this 
chemical in order to slow my brain down. So consciousness doesn't actually leave the brain. So that's a reframe for sure. I was saying in my last video that an extrapolation came to me later and it feels as if that is delayed extrapolation. thought that sounded kind of funny. And I was thinking about how if we already think we're seeing, the body turns off vision. So when we have this fake seeing process of our past projections going on, the body actually turns off vision. It turns off actual seeing. And it has to because we're projecting something into our visual field that's interfering with actually seeing. So it naturally turns off the seeing process. And then we think we see, but we only see what we think. And what we think is very limited compared to what is out there. And compared to what is in here. So we don't have access to the non-linear. We don't have access to pattern recognition if we are superimposing the linear with our past thoughts. I feel like the brain cells of map consciousness, of trans consciousness, are created like a matrix. So at first, the perceptions are sort of spaced out and they're not really that connected, but it's creating this matrix of brain cells. And then as we're able to fill in all the gaps through perception and self-dialogue, other brain cells grow and strengthen that network, that network of holistic seeing and pattern recognition. Pat, there's, there's similar patterns throughout the universe, so once you kind of see the pattern or how the pattern patterns, you can, you can extrapolate the patterns. But it starts with these really out there perceptions, which are usually called hallucinations and delusions, but it's really just the brain starting to fill in this diverse matrix of things so it's not necessarily related to the present moment and then once it fills in enough of that matrix then we can really see the present moment because we have this whole holistic brain that we're using instead of these few wires in the prefrontal dopamine cortex if i have out there perceptions i've had thousands of perceptions that are sort of within and this is a new epimimetic and endomimetic structure that's mirrored in the brain and then there could be ones that are slight outliers and and I can actually prune them by seeing they're not part of the pattern can we see what our brain is doing when the brain is projecting tunnel vision of past ego thoughts how can it see what it's doing the brain is what it's doing. And right now it's being used. So our wiring is tunnel vision, no matter how we try to program ourselves. And the thing is, when we try to create new habits and programs, it's just another program. The program is trying to reprogram itself. And if we can see this programming, and the nature and the structure of it. That which is seeing the program is something other than the programming. And that's the only step. Because the programming blocks seeing.
And if we can see the programming, we can see. It's not about changing the programming because it's programming that changes programming. And what we want is to be able to be free to act in the moment. I feel like the sound programming is what blinds us. So we're blinded by our own voice. It's almost like this wall of sound, of image sound, is in front of us. And we've projected it. And so this wall of sound in our own voice is what prevents perception and awe in that moment when we see and we're speechless. I feel the ego sound is what creates the blind spot. The process of seeking is blinding because we're seeking with our programming. And the programming is telling us what to seek. And this is like saying we know what we're seeking. Because it's looking for something in particular. It's looking for that which it seeks. When really, what it's looking for is that by which it seeks, which is seeing itself. I feel like the ego warps our brain and it operates at warp speed. And when we go into map consciousness or trans consciousness, we're operating at light speed. So the ego is at warp speed, it's at the speed of sound, the speed of the sound of our own voice. And when that's quiet, we can see all the light. And the light of perception is what grows the brain. Just like the light hitting the leaves of a tree give it energy through photosynthesis. The light hitting our eyes from what we're actually seeing in our visual field when it's not blocked by the sound of our own voice grows our brain cells. Because the chlorophyll and the leaves of the tree, that energy helps to grow the roots. So the light hitting our eyes of perception grows our brain cells. So our brain is actually photosynthetic. Photosynthesis is created by the photons of light. If we can't see something, if we can't perceive something, it can't be created in our brains. We're addicted to our own projections, which we project to block the 50%, and seeing this same thing all the time, and getting dopamine, and dopamine withdrawing, and getting dopamine, and we're so addicted to this that we can't see. We're addicted to our own blindness. We all suffer from dopamine blindness. Dopamine creates the blind spot because it's the thing we're projecting in terms of pleasure, our own thoughts and images, creates the blind spot. We react to that. We're only reacting to our projections and we get pleasure from our own projections. And I think that's what Dr. David Hawkins means when he said, surrender the juice, surrender the pleasure you get from your own projections. It's like we're putting out a dopamine beacon constantly. And we can only see that beacon. We can't see the rest of what's happening. We might need to free our perception of the concept of focus. And when we can see, we can see meaning everywhere. 
because we can see the intelligence of life everywhere. Life is meaning. Everything has meaning, we just can't see it because we're chasing a particular meaning. We've been told to look for something meaningful and then we're told what that meaningful thing is. We're given hints of what it is and so we look for that. When we aren't looking for meaning, we can see it everywhere because if we look for it, we're saying that we know what it is. And that narrows the field of perception. And what we really want is an expansive field of perception. So an ever arising newness of meaning can come into consciousness. Not the meaning we think is meaningful. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.